Thank you, Carla. It's always nice to have a, a live prelude, isn't it? I, I always find that special. Yeah, we can do that. That's good. Well, good morning and welcome here. It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, a few announcements, uh, kind of as we get things rolling. Um, first off, want to remind you that camp is coming up again. Um, we're headed out to Timberlake Camp on June 18 and 19. I'm going to send around the clipboard again. Um, the For camp, we have stuff on Saturday, Saturday night. If you want the option to spend the night, that option is available. We just need to know how much of this fantastic brisket to prepare for Saturday, um, how many people are sleeping there, how many people are, are showing up for lunch, that kind of thing. And so uh, we had a lot of fun with it last year. There's all kinds of water activities. Um, it's a great place to bring bicycles and just explore all over the camp. Uh, we're going to be doing a church service out there again, and uh, just uh, a pretty neat time. So camp is coming up June 18 and 19. Um, this Saturday is the garage sales. Do I have that right? Yes, I do. Uh, and so we are doing the, the fundraiser again, the, the Utah VBS fundraiser. Now, Saturday is projected to be 94 degrees. So kudos to the planning team that said, let's do this indoors. All right. That was brilliant. Um, we're, there's going to be a fundraiser. We've taken a cue from Wall Drug. We're offering free ice water. Um, there's going to be like a garage sale and some other stuff. And so um, just know that that is going on on Saturday. Uh, the lunch meal is going to start be start serving in at 11. I know several of you are helping out. Thank you. If you would like to help out but you've not yet spoken up, um, please do so. And, uh, yeah, we're looking bring, – bring your friends. It should be a grand time. Uh, VBS, uh, registration is available. Check that out. There is a very good flyer in your, in, your, in your bulletin about prayer walks that are starting to happen on Tuesday and Thursday. And so if you have questions, comments, anything like that, talk to Dot about that. That is a really neat thing that is, that is going on. Uh, and also, later on this morning, we're going to hear from Jen. She's going to um, be sharing about her time with Crew. And also, this didn't make it in the bulletin, after Jen shares, uh, the Utah VBS team, we are going to have them come forward. We're going to hear just a little bit about what they're doing, and then we're going to pray for them and commission them, like, like we've done in the past. So just know that that, that is coming up. Um, there's other bu- uh, announcements in your bulletins, um, but uh, I think those are kind of the main ones. So let's have a word of prayer, and let's sing. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. You are a good and a gracious God. You are faithful. God, this morning as we continue to look at, at the 12 apostles, the, the 12 disciples and their life, God, I pray that for everyone here that we would find a storyline that we connect with, that we, would, that we would understand the transformation that took place as they interacted with you um, and, and the trajectory of their life afterwards, God. May that be something that, that we are able to copy in our own life to some degree. God, thank you for scripture and for truth. Thank you for your love and for your grace. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. God has called us by grace, and he is daily keeping us in that same grace until he brings us home. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The song we are about to sing says, Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. The God who began a good work in us continues it throughout our lifetime and will finish it 
when we meet him face to face. Please stand with us as we sing hymn number 42. Come thou fount of every blessing.
let's have a word of prayer together, shall we? Heavenly Father, this morning we just want to take a few moments and just silently express, God, how good and gracious you are and how thankful we are for you, Lord. God, our hearts are full of gratitude, of appreciation, of praise. Lord, may it always be that we are excited to about you and not just the things that you give. And Lord, we, we ask, is there any way that we have grieved your Holy Spirit this past week? God, is there anything that we need to confess or repent or turn away from? And if so, Lord, we want to want to repent, we want to apologize. Express that we're sorry for, for hurting you and that we don't want to do that anymore. Lord, we pray for our family, for our children, and even great or grandchildren and great grandchildren. Pray for our friends and our community. Lord, we pray for this church fulfill all that, that we would fill all that, that, that you have intended for us and we love you Lord Amen Hutchers can come forward and right after the offertory we'll hear from Jen and then Christine <laughs> Good morning. Um, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Jennifer Goosen. 
and I just finished my second year of interning with Crew at the University of Central Arkansas. And Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, um, is a campus ministry focused on reaching college students with the gospel, building them up in their faith, um, and sending them out as lifetime laborers for Christ. I'm excited to have the opportunity this morning to briefly share with you about my ministry experience and what I will be doing next. So first of all, I want to thank you all and my church family for the immense amount of support you have given me over the last several years. It is an incredible blessing to be part of a congregation that understands and supports missions. You have encouraged me, prayed for me, and made it financially possible for me to follow the Lord as I seek to make his name known, while also growing in my own personal relationship with him. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, and God has used you in countless ways. Thank you. My second intern year has definitely been a growing season personally, but I've also seen the Lord continue to grow my heart for college students. Oftentimes, when I go sharing on campus or even just overhear conversations, my heart breaks. You can hear the longings for love, acceptance, and relationship. As students talk about last night or the weekend, what they did or who did what, I'm reminded of their brokenness and need for a savior. Romans 10:14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I have loved ministering to college students because I do believe they are key in fulfilling the Great Commission. The Lord has used this um, internship to directly change the direction of my life. He has taught me selflessness and to live for something greater than myself, to live for him in reaching lost people with the gospel. Lost souls coming to know Jesus is more important than status, money, or comfort, and I love that I get to be a part of that every day as my job. I'm so grateful that I decided to enter in a second year. It has given me another year of experience where I faced different challenges in ministry, but also grew in confidence as a ministry leader. I no longer felt like I was a freshman on campus coming from Nebraska to Arkansas. Relationships with the girls deepened, and I loved teaching them and spending time with them. The women in the Central Arkansas crew movements have become so dear to me, and I'm so thankful the Lord brought me there to do ministry. I recently wrote about Lei, a Chinese international student who I've been able to meet with. Unlike the typical Bible Belt student in Arkansas, Lei had never heard the gospel before. After our first meeting, I racked my brain on how to get her a Chinese Bible, but had no idea how to do it. <laughs> then one day, she randomly shows up with one. A friend of hers had offered her the Bible three years ago, but she hadn't been interested at the time. Imagine her friend's surprise when she asked if she could have it three years later. I remember just think, sitting there thinking, wow, like how incredible that I get the privilege to walk with her through this season of her life um, when she had before not been interested and now she is. Um, just now that her heart is opened and receptive to the truth. It has been so fun meeting with her um, because she is literally hearing everything for the first time. Over the year, I witnessed myself steadily taking ownership of the crew movement and the direction that it is headed. Though I did not go to school there, the University of Central Arkansas has become my campus. And as the only full-time female staff, 
um, on the Central Arkansas team, I experienced the need for female staff there every day. Through countless prayers, the word, and talking with friends, coworkers, and mentors throughout the application process, I applied and was accepted to continue working with crew full-time. My placement has not yet been made official, but I'm hoping to continue working in Central Arkansas. On June 18th, I will attend crew new staff training in Florida for four weeks, and I'm incredibly excited for this opportunity and would appreciate your prayers as I transition to longer-term ministry. And currently, I'm trusting the Lord to raise the necessary funds to cover the cost of training. If you would like to join me in this um, and support me, I would love to talk with you after the service. But thank you so much for everything. Thanks, Jen. That was awesome. Um, there's a Bible school team that gets to partner with um, Jason Nicole in uh, Utah this next coming week, a week from now. Um, and it's the Greenhouse Church because they're in an unreached uh, part of the nation. Um, they need people to come support them from the outside, what Luke has talked about before. And so we get the privilege of going down there to support Jason Nicole, what God is doing in Utah. Um, we get to encourage them, and we get to share some awesome truths with these kids and with these families. We're going to do a three-day Bible school. Um, it'll be in the morning. It'll be at, up at the park by Jason Nicole's house and by the school. Um, last year we did this, and there were families that registered beforehand and kids that registered beforehand. But there were also families that came during the Bible school. They saw what was going on, and they said, hey, I want to be a part of this too. So um, one of the songs that we're going to be doing is actually Jesus, He Loves Me. And <laughs> this is an awesome truth to proclaim. We're going to be proclaiming how much Jesus loves them, how much he gives them hope, courage, power, and direction. Those five things we're going to be proclaiming to these kids and to these families. And a lot of times, the parents will stay and see what's going on, and they're hearing these truths as well. And we're also just asking you to pray for us, for travel, for safety, for just um, Satan to not be a part of any of this, and that the light of Jesus will break through any of the darkness there. And the families and the kids will hear that Jesus loves them and he has hope for them, and there's a plan for them. And so we're incredibly excited and also maybe a little anxious about it, but we are just looking forward to what God is going to do. So please be in prayer um, as we do this um, trip soon. We want to pray for and, and commission the Utah VBS team this morning. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask all the Utah VBS team members to come down uh, on, on down here, uh, form a circle facing inward, and then we're going to do this Henderson MB style um, where I'm going to invite anyone who wants to to come forward and uh, lay hands on them. I'm hoping they're comfortable with it. I always forget to check about that. Um, uh, and then we're just all going to pray together out loud at once. If you guys would actually form a circle facing inward, it just makes it easier uh, uh, for, for us to do that. 
uh, then we're just going to pray together all, all out loud at once. And, uh, and then when I sense that things are starting to diminish, uh, then I'll close it off. So whoever would like to, I would invite you to, to come forward at, at this point and, and gather around them. While that is happening, let me continue. You can keep, it's, it's okay, you can come forward. Uh, let me continue to explain. A, a commissioning is different than just a prayer, all right? Um, to commission is to actually to say we authorize, um, we give you authority. Uh, to commission means that you are going as an extension of us. Um, and so it's a much kind of deeper, fuller, richer word than, than to say pray for. Uh, the other reason, or the other thing I want to point out is, you know, because, you know, well, why doesn't just pastor pray for us and we just call it good, right? Um, to have the whole congregation be involved in this is a much deeper, richer experience than to just have me do it, right? Because when all of you partake in the commissioning service, really this team is an extension of you, right? This is not my team. This is your team, right? This is a part of your church and an extension of that. So that's why we do this as a whole church because it's just, it's a much deeper, richer expression of, of what it is that we're trying to do. So I would invite you to stand if you're able. And we'll go ahead and start praying. And um, when I sense it starts to, to die off, then I'll close us off. And I'll just work my mute button. Heavenly Father, we pray a, a protection and a covering over this team. In the name of Jesus, we forbid you, enemy of God, from interfering with their trip in any way. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray that in Saratoga Springs, that your kingdom would expand and advance. We pray that this would serve to, to increase Jason and Nicole's favor uh, within the community. We pray for divine appointments. God, we pray for um, kids who, who would show up and be so receptive and parents as well, too, to what it is that is taking place. Uh, God, I pray as well, too, that, that they would come back with different eyes for, for how they see the world, that they would be equally impacted and changed uh, with just an increased fervor for you and for your glory. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Those are always a lot of fun. I really like those. All right. Well, we are working through a series on discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple? What does this word discipleship mean? And uh, really just striving to understand that word and really to be kind of local experts on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to, to make other disciples of Jesus Christ? As part of that series, uh, we're taking a couple weeks, and we are working through the 12 apostles, kind of the original disciples. 
and uh, what was their life. And kind of the thing that we're looking at is, is, is kind of their life before Christ. I mean, kind of just their, their common, ordinary beginnings. So we're taking a look at that. We're looking then at, at you know, they had these three years of, of Christ. And then the trajectory that their life went on after that Christ event. Now, uh, we're using Scripture for as much as we can pull Scripture, but for a lot of it, we are having to pull from tradition. And so it's not as certain, but it, but it certainly is interesting. And, uh, and we're just looking for storylines that each of us can connect. And last week, we talked about this word hero and, uh, and what a fantastic word it is and, and how perhaps our culture doesn't value heroes like we used to. And so we're really... Um, kind of looking for heroes uh, amongst these 12 apostles, but we're also in some ways wanting to, to become heroes, right? It's not just enough to be inspired, but rather we want to become as well. Now, as a visual cue to just help us remember uh, who these people are and what was going on, we are working through Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. And so if you want to pull that slide up, um, we talked, I won't go into as much detail this week. Um, but this is the original. It's actually a painting in a monastery in the dining hall. Um, it's kind of had a rough life. It fell apart. French soldiers scratched out the eyes on the apostles. I feel that was rude. Um, various restoration projects didn't go so well, that kind of thing. Uh, it, so we're going off one of his contemporaries, one of da Vinci's contemporaries, did one as well too, kind of mimicking the original. And so we're going off that one. And we're just working through it left to right. So I'm just going to go through the names again, because also I want you to remember all 12 names. So on the very, oh, and, and as you remember, uh, in the Last Supper, it's meant to depict the moment that Jesus tells them that one of them will betray him. So it's all different kind of reactions. So on the left, we have Bartholomew, we have James, son of Alphaeus, or James the Less. We have Andrew. We talked about those three guys last week. Um, Bartholomew, right? He became known as one of the most adventurous apostles. The guy possibly went to Ethiopia. We think he went to India. He eventually ended up in Armenia, which is on the east side of Turkey and north of Iran. And there he was martyred. They skinned him alive with knives. Rough way to go. And um, then, oh, go, go back one slide here. Um, then after that we have, so his storyline was kind of the adventurous uh, soul, right? Then after that we have James the Less, also called like James the Younger, James the Smaller, James the Minor, James the, I have a complex because all my names are awful guy. Um, we know hardly nothing about him from scripture and according to tradition, we know nothing about him as well too, except we think that he was crucified in southern Egypt. And um, kind of the story, but we know from other scriptures that this man's name will be on one of the 12 foundations of heaven, and we know that he will be rewarded greatly for what he has done. And so this is the storyline where, you know, the world just doesn't recognize a lot of your efforts and a lot of work, but it's a reminder that God does remember and that God will reward, okay? Um, next, we have Andrew. Andrew was kind of uh, quite the, the, the rock star. Um, Andrew went to... Um, Oh, where did he go? I think he went to, to India. Um, oh, it was Greece. He ended up in Greece. Um, that's where he was martyred. He was uh, crucified on an X-shaped cross. Not a T-shaped, but an X-shaped cross. This became known as St. Andrew's Cross. And now you will see it on things like the Scotland flag or Florida's flag or, or other places like this. Andrew was a soft-spoken individual. We only see like four stories of him in the New Testament every time he is introducing someone to Jesus. He was the first apostle, 
and yet he saw others come behind him in many ways surpass him in just how well they were known. Andrew, from from what we gather, Andrew was the man who loved the one-on-one conversation, the one-on-one interaction. A crowd of 5,000, and he connects with the kid who brought a lunch, right? And yet, I mean, he valued the one-on-one, and yet he is respected and renowned by millions. He is this patron saint of, like, a lot of countries and dozens and dozens of cities. Uh, Just incredible impact um, because he valued the one-on-one. Okay, next three that we're going through, uh, Judas, Peter, and John. That's what we're going to cover today. I was hoping to do Thomas, but I don't think we're going to have time. Um, And these are all kind of notable figures. Um, Let's see, Judas is the one on the front. Um, He is uh, holding a money sack. He's sipping over a container of salt. There was a saying in the day that connected with betraying your master. He's reaching for bread at the same time as Jesus. Um, His head is lower than all the others in the painting. Um, Peter is is kind of the, the bald guy there in the back. He's holding a sword, and he's talking to John, who for some reason looks a bit feminine in the painting. Um, then, of course, we have Jesus. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, then we have Thomas. He's the one holding up the finger. We have James the Greater. We have Philip. Uh, keep going along. We'll get to them next week. We'll see how far we go. Matthew, um, Jude, and then Simon. Okay. The point is not to know everything about the painting. The point is simply to have the painting as a visual cue so that when someone says, hey, who are the founders of your faith? You can be like, well, starting on the left, we have Bartholomew, James the left, you know, and you can just kind of visually work through it in your head. I'm a visual learner. Okay, today we start with Judas. Uh, So kind of a heavy one. Judas is most famously known for the kiss that betrayed Jesus. Uh, His name is often associated with betrayal or treason. Uh, I think that he was the only one from Judah. All the other ones were from Galilee. One of the things that that I want you to remember about Judas is that he had all the same experiences as the other 12, um, including successes. Um, They did everything together. He likely had an amazing three years of ministry. Um, It does not appear at the Last Supper that anyone suspected him of foul play. Um, The guy was probably really, really good at being a disciple, Um, really trusted. They entrusted him with with the finances. Um, He probably did signs, wonders, saw it all. I mean, he was with the 12 when they went out on their little short-term missions trip, and they all came back and were like, wow, even the demons submit to us in your name. He was part of that crew. He did all of that. Tradition-wise, there's really not anything on Judas because he dies, um, like at the end of the, uh, the Gospels. Uh, the different Gospels give different aspects of his death, but if you piece it together, uh, it appears that he returned the 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he hung himself, but then after a time, like the branch or the tree broke or something, and it says that his body fell head first and that his body burst open. Literally, I think it even says his intestines spilled out. I'm not a coroner, but I'm pretty sure most bodies just, like, don't do that when they fall. And so that actually tells me, suggests me one of two things. Either one, it was from a very great height. So there was a branch over just a really big cliff. That was one option. Or, possibly, the body had hung there for a very, very long time and had simply become bloated and then burst open. 
in which case it suggests that his body was there for a very long time. That no one came for him. That he went out, that he hung himself, and all his friends, all his close buddies, these 11 that he had been with for three years, they just left him for probably a really long time. So it's actually, his story is actually uh, sadder um, than what we first view. The connecting points on his storyline are a bit somber, but very valid. I would say that this could have just as easily been me. And it could have just as easily been you. You know, a few bad decisions, I could be homeless on the street. A few bad decisions, I could be right there beside Judas. I don't believe that people dive into horrible sins, but rather that they grow into them slowly until the sin that seems so innocent becomes too big and it overtakes them. James 1 talks about sin starting off, you know, almost as a baby, and then it grows up into this thing that kills you. Romans 1 talks about people being so committed to their sin that God eventually gives them over to their sin, still in the desperate hope that they turn to him, but eventually he, he just turns them over to it. I don't believe that Judas started his journey planning on this, but some kind of sin grew within him, and this was the result. A leader who uh, embezzles money or has an affair. I don't think they start with that in mind, but they grow into it. It's interesting to wonder if Judas could have repented and been accepted back in. Um, I, I mean, that didn't happen, so it will always be the realm of speculation. But, you know, if you compare it to what Peter did, Judas showed up with a mob, um, but he never denied knowing Jesus. Peter actually denied Jesus three times, and one of them to a servant girl. Peter felt so bad that he cried about it. Judas felt so bad that he went out and hung himself. Um, and, and, and I think the application on this is that, O oh, sinner, repent like Peter, not like Judas. Peter messed up very bad. The whole thing was heightened by his big mouth. But he repented. There was reconciliation. There was even restoration. And I, th I think the emphasis in here is that we end well. How you end something will flavor or stain your entire memory of that experience. When we worked with Trek teams, we drilled this home so hard. You end well in the field. You end well, you know, with your team. Because you can have a horrible experience, but if you end well, it will forever put a positive spin in memory on that experience. You can have a great experience, but if you end with a fight or an argument or bad words and then you leave, it forever puts a negative taste in your mouth about that experience. End well. A couple can be married 20, 30, 50 years. But then if something bad happens, if there's a, a, a divorce or adultery or something like that, I mean, you can literally have 50 good years of marriage. But if it ends poorly, then, then all those good years are forgotten and all that's remembered are those few bad years. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs has a line about how just a few flies will spoil the perfume. There was a, a couple, John and Ev Ween, 
Uh, they became missionaries to Ukraine. I, s- I want to say that they went out as first-time missionaries like in their mid to late 60s is when they went out for the first time. Uh, they were there for a few years. Things were going really well. He came back, um, found out that he had cancer, and it just progressed really quickly, and he passed away in a very short period of time. At his funeral, they said of John that he sprinted across the finish line. And that would be my prayer for you, that you sprint across the finish line. Any good person who runs track knows that you don't coast those last five, ten yards. Okay? You mentally put the finish line about ten yards beyond where it is, and you press hard until that finish line. Sprint across the finish line. The connecting point with Judas, get rid of the small sins. They will grow and overpower you. Repent like Peter. End well and sprint across the finish line. Peter. Let's talk about Peter. Peter is, there's a lot of material on Peter. Um, uh, and, and not just within the Protestant tradition, but within the Catholic tradition as well, too. There's pages and pages on that. We're not going to go down, down that. But Scripture simply has a lot of material on Peter. And what's interesting is that it's not just one gospel, but it's all four gospels seem to highlight Peter. Which is kind of interesting because, you know, one gospel could have highlighted James the less, you know, and another gospel could have highlighted Simon and another gospel, you know, why did all four seem to highlight Peter, including the book of Acts? Um, Peter was a fisherman with his brother Andrew, um, uh, possibly worked alongside James and John. It's possible, actually, that they fished sporadically throughout their time with Jesus and also after he left. Uh, we do see that when Jesus died, they didn't know what to do. So they went back to what they knew, which was fishing. Uh, Peter actually has four names throughout the scripture. Simon, Simeon, Cephas, and Peter. And there's kind of an interesting transition that happens. Um, his, his given name was Simon or Simeon. He meets Jesus, and Jesus says, your name is Peter. And after his interaction with Christ, if you, if you look at all the Gospels, he is never again referred to as Simon. In all of Paul's writings, he only refers to him as Peter. Throughout the book of Acts, I'm pretty sure he is only ever called Peter. So that thing which identifies him most clearly, his name, undergoes transition when he meets Jesus. And from that point forward, after meeting Jesus, he is forever known as Peter and not Simon. There's like three sermons just in that. On a transformation of identity when we encounter Jesus. Uh, I think actually it was that interaction. In some cultures they have this tradition where they give you like a Christian name. Or they rename you when you become a Christian. Um, Interesting story. So in like, uh, what was that? 03, I go to India. There's a group of us, short-term missions trip. We're in country for three weeks. One day we split up. We go to different places. I'm with a couple guys. We go to some church and i don't remember the town's name which is really ironic you'll see that why later um i brought my little sermon i preached my little sermon it all gets translated i don't know if we preached the same sermons he probably gave a better one but um afterwards they're having like a, a child naming christian child naming ceremony dedication i'm like all right so we gather around most of it's like in hindi what is in english is in broken english and at one point, I think I hear the guy say, what's a good Christian name for this young boy? Luke is a good name. We'll name him Luke. I'm like, wait, what? What? 
I mean, I didn't say that, but that's what's going on in my mind. So I'm not real sure. Then as we're driving away, the guy goes, oh, now you'll always remember this town because there's a little loop running around. And, of course, I've completely forgotten this town. But um, so there is a kid somewhere in India who got named after me. Um, I don't I. Yeah, I, I hope to connect with him in heaven. He might be hard to track down. But um, anyways, uh, renaming still happens today. That was an int- and then we went and like tore down this like pagan altar like out in this. It was a fascinating day. Um, we'll do that another time. His name, he gets renamed. Uh, Peter's place among the twelve. Uh, Peter just plays this prominent role in, in, in all four books and, and in the Gospels. Um, whenever the apostles are listed, Peter's name gets named first. He was not the first apostle, but he always gets named first. Sometimes it even just, in referring to the apostles, it basically says Peter and the others. Um, And he's never really, like, named a leader, but he always kind of seems to play the role of leader or play the role of spokesman. As example, um, it was he who who asked the meaning of the difficult sayings in Matthew 15. He he was the one who asked about forgiving. Um, He inquired about the reward for following Jesus. Uh, The collectors of the temple tax came to Peter, presumably as leader of the group. Um, he is the first to confess Jesus, declare him a son. Um, it was he who was on the Mount Tr- of Transfiguration. Uh, he saw Jairus' daughter raised to life. He alone had sufficient faith to walk on water. Um, he and John were supposed to prepare the Passover meal. After the resurrection, the angels say, go tell the, the disciples and Peter. Um, time and time again, you see him singled out and brought to the forefront. Um, And in addition to this, all four Gospels track his spiritual journey. And all four Gospels seem to highlight different aspects of his transition. Um, His prominence continues into the book of Acts. And it's actually believed that because in the first 12 chapters of Acts, it's Peter this, Peter this, Peter that, so-and-so and and Peter, Peter and -and so-and-so, so-and-so and and Peter, Peter and -and so-and-so. Then there's this council where Peter is forced to go into hiding, and we never hear from Peter again in the rest of the book of Acts. And actually, later on, we see James rising to this position of leadership within the church. Um, yeah. Tradition says that he was crucified uh, head downwards in Rome. Uh, after, that, um, after that council in, in Acts, after uh, Acts chapter 12, they dispersed. Okay, remember how Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to all nations? Apparently, they just hung out for like 12 to 15 years, and then persecution forced them to scatter. Whatever. A lot that you could do with that one. Peter was married. We know this because Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And the way you get a mother-in-law is that you get married. We're good? We're tracking with me? Tradition holds that they were crucified or that they were martyred on the same day together. And in fact, she was martyred first, and and he witnessed her being led out first. According to to one historian, um, a a guy who, who, who lived around A.D. 200, 300, This is what he wrote down. They say accordingly that when the blessed Peter saw his own wife led out to die, he rejoiced because of her summons and her return home. And he called to her very encouragingly, 
and comforting me, addressed her by name and said, O thou, remember the Lord. Such was the marriage of the blessed and their perfect disposition towards those dearest to them. If this is true, that, that, that they were martyred together, same day, same place, same event, what must have been true beforehand to lead us up to this event? I mean, at the very least, it says they traveled together, which actually Paul confirms. He talks about Peter traveling with a believing wife. And it really suggests, though, that they were doing ministry together. Because she was guilty of the same crime, whatever that was, that Peter was guilty of. And so they were both condemned to death. It means that when faced with death, that she refused to deny Christ. I mean, it it is an absolutely breathtaking story that I wish we had so much more information on. That this couple, for however many years, traveled together and ministered together and ultimately died as martyrs together. It's a breathtaking story. If you are married, there is unique power in doing ministry as a couple. Uh, You will sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. Uh, You will help each other have a better, fuller understanding of life and people and, and personalities. You will strengthen each other when tired. You will celebrate each other's success. The same is true uh, for having kids. I've heard missionaries talk about how in the community they are simply trusted more because they're parents, and parents trust other parents. Doing ministry together has, as, as a couple is a powerful and unique thing. That said, I also, also want to speak to singles. If you are single, do not rush to marriage. Paul actually says that when it comes to ministry, it is better to remain single, and Paul preferred it over marriage. See, when you get married, when you have a family, your family becomes part of your ministry. But what that means is that your ability for kind of an external focus on ministry is somewhat diminished because now it's your family is a part of that. So if you have a family, you focus in on your family. That's good. That's great. That's wonderful. That's God how, God how God designed it. But when it comes to sort of the ministry outside family, the single, ha- just there, there is a mobility, there is a freedom, and there is a focus of mind that will be diminished when you get married because part of that focus now goes to your family. It boggles my mind how married people foolishly rush single people to get married. I I believe that's a mistake. I was single for a long time. I traveled as single. I did ministry as a single person. There's just a a, a mobility and and a focus that you have that does diminish when you you get married. Um, Partway through, you know, like with Trek, got married, traveled married, have done ministry as married, and it's different. And in some ways, that external ministry is harder. If you have been married for a long time, if you got married very young, be very careful because you may not be respecting that power and that freedom and that mobility that singles have. Jesus was single. Paul was single. It's believed most of the disciples were single. Single is not junior varsity. Never call single junior varsity. 
connecting point. How do we relate to Peter? Peter was a Galilean. Josephus says this about Galileans. They were ever fond of innovation. By nature, they were disposed to change. They delighted in sedition. They were ever ready to follow the leader and to begin an insurrection. They were quick in temper, given to quarreling, and very chivalrous men. The Talmud says this of Galileans. They were more anxious for honor than for gain. They were quick-tempered. They were impulsive. They were emotional. They were easily aroused by an appeal to venture, but they were loyal to the event end. These pretty well seem to sum up Peter. Uh, Peter has a reputation of being impulsive and rash, and, you know, he talks, and then he decides to think about what he said. But the ironic part about it is that this makes him so relatable. Like, seriously, how many of you can't relate to something I just said? Like, you don't have to name it out loud, right? But so many of Peter's quirks, we can be like, yeah, yeah, I did that on Tuesday. Like, it wasn't even like last year. Like, that is just part of my life. But, but here's the beautiful part in that, in that because we have such a detailed account of Peter in all four Gospels and in the Acts, it gives us like this spiritual roadmap of someone who is changed by their interactions with Jesus. Remember how his name shifted from Simon to Peter as he encounters Jesus? We also see this character transition. And by the end, we see this remarkable, brave, spirit-empowered, bold man who produced miracles and and saw thousands come to faith. And we see someone who led well. Prior to Jesus, he was not so hot. After Jesus, he was a remarkable man. And also, we see forgiveness and being reinstated after grievous sins. Peter failed, uh, really in some of the worst way possible. Um, He denied Christ before a servant girl. So just like the lowest stature person of that day. And it was something that he had swore that he would never do. Peter vowed almost venomously that he would never do X. And within 12 hours, he had done it three times. What sin have you committed? What sin have you committed that you, would va- that you had vowed that you would never do? Did you downplay your devotion to Christ in front of coworkers, friends, whatever? Did you embezzle money? Did you have an affair? Do you struggle with porn? Are you a gossip? Did you parent in such a way that your children want nothing to do with you? Did you cheat someone? It's easy to list sins. I can go on for a long time. You get the point. Oh, sinner, respond like Peter and not like Judas. Run to Christ, not away from Christ. People who truly understand their identity in Christ, when they sin, they run to Christ, not away. Crash into the arms of a loving and merciful God and do not try to enact your own punishment like Judas did. John, we'll keep this brief and we're done. Um, John was amazing. Uh, John the Greater, as he was known, uh, James and John were brothers. Uh, John would later to go right on to... Uh, blah, 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 blah. John would later go on to write the Gospel of John, Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In those writings, he often refers to, or at least in the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple or one whom Jesus loved. Interestingly, this man had a hot temper. And I don't mean like, oh, I'm so annoyed. 
I mean, hey, they wouldn't let us stay in their town. Let's call down fire from heaven and kill all of them. Like that was a, that like he actually said that. Um, his father appeared to have a pretty successful fishing business enough so that they had hired men. So um, somewhat successful family business. It is believed that his temper mellowed out because even though he was a man of such a fiery temper in his interaction with Jesus, he went on to write first John, which is one of these great letters on the love of God. And it is often recommended as as the book that you start with for new Christians in understanding the love of God. You start with first John. All throughout the Gospel of John, we read about the one whom Jesus loved. It's believed that he's talking about himself. Uh, he was also part of the inner circle. We often see Jesus doing stuff only with um, Peter, James, and John. He was part of that. Uh, he had an, an impressive, impressive resume because he was part of that, that three. I mean, he, he, he saw a girl raised to life. He was on the mountain of transfiguration. Um, he was involved in Gethsemane more closely than others. He was with Peter on all kinds of different adventures. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, a slow, painful death, it is only John who is mentioned as staying by Jesus' side. Only John is mentioned to linger by the cross as Jesus died. And at one point, Jesus looks to John, and he, in essence, Asked John to take care of his mother for him after he died. And John agrees and, and basically adopts Mary and takes responsibility for her. According to tradition, uh, Jesus gave this uh, commissioning speech. People stayed, you know, in Jerusalem for 12 years and they, they scattered. John is believed to have eventually been exiled to the island of Patmos. Um, tradition holds, uh, Tertullian write this. That in the Colosseum uh, in Rome, that John was dropped into a vat of boiling oil, and he walked away from it unscathed. The entire Colosseum witnessed the miracle, became Christians, and then John, then John was banished to the island of Patmos. The, the surviving the boiling oil thing is, is kind of a, a common thing. John is the only one to not die a martyr, except for Judas. He doesn't really come back. Connecting points. John had a remarkable life. And one of the things that's remarkable about it is that this was a man who was faithful to do his part for a long and fruitful life. Not only is John traditionally held to be the youngest, but he's also uh, didn't die a martyr. And so it's estimated that he died 50 years after the first martyr. I think James, I, I think his brother James was the first martyr. He died 50 years later. So he had this long, faithful, uh, fruitful life where he was faithful to the very end. And so that this speaks to the notion of finishing strong, of finishing well, of sprinting across the finish line. Secondly, for those of you who have had visible change to your character, remember John started off as the fiery hothead, and then he writes one of the most amazing works on the love of God. Perhaps you were grumpy, dark, addicted to stuff, a liar, unfaithful, unloving. You encounter Jesus, and now you're kind, caring, patient, restrained, truthful, full of integrity. Or perhaps you're still in that process. 
then John's storyline is one that you can relate to. Folks, the, the goal here is to understand the, these apostles in many ways as heroes, to connect with their common, often sinful beginnings, to see the transition that happened with, with the Christ event, and, and then to see the, the trajectory of their life after Jesus and looking for storylines that we connect with. We have Judas who ended poorly, who refused to accept forgiveness, where sin grew slowly in him until it overtook him, and he died bitter and broken. We have Peter who accepted forgiveness, who accepted grace, who ran to Jesus after his sin and continues on to become this prominent leader in the church. And all four Gospels give us this kind of this detailed journey of, of, of his spiritual journey. We see God transforming his brash behavior, his uncontrolled mouth uh, into something remarkable. Maybe this speaks to you individually. Maybe this speaks to you as a parent, right? A lot, of, a lot of the great leaders were energetic children. And then we have John, who, who also undergoes this transition from hot-tempered to an expert on God's love. Folks, I don't need you to be heroes as the world understand heroes. I need you to be heroes a- as God understands heroes. This last week in the news, it's been all over about how Muhammad Ali passed away. And there's all, you know, all kinds of news, and people are talking about kind of what a great man and what a great fighter, and, and they're talking about this remarkable man, Muhammad Ali. About a year ago, I watched a documentary on his life. It was fascinating because he was kind of before my era. But not only was he an excellent boxer, but um, in addition, he was a, a conscientious objector for the Vietnam War because of his um, uh, Muslim faith, and it became this thing that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And in the end, he won slash it got thrown out on this weird technicality, but basically he won. But And, and, and so his life was marked not only by boxing, but also as, as, as being kind of this, um, kind of this uh, iconic person um, uh, who opposed the, the Vietnam War. But there, there were several years in there where he wasn't allowed to box. And during that time, he had, the guy was a devout Muslim, and he spent that time um, – doing public speaking where he where he strongly advocated for for the muslim faith and and he tried to to bring people to to the muslim faith for several years using his platform and for the last couple days he has been very clearly before the throne of god i would be far more interested to hear what he has to say today having spent a few days in the presence of jesus christ than really what he had to say during his life. Because folks, unless your God involves Jesus Christ, it's not the true God. He was a hero as the world saw heroes, but that's not what I need from you. I need heroes as heaven perceives heroes. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those in this room who are already on this journey. God, I pray that you would help them finish strong and sprint across the finish line. God, for some of us, uh, we're still in the transition process. Maybe we're still sorting out who is this Jesus guy. Lord, I I pray that, that we would continue to encounter you in remarkable ways. God, may your transformation of me and of others not cease until the very end. God, we thank you for these heroes of faith that 
that we find in Scripture for their journey, for their storyline, for the trajectory of their life. God, we thank you that they were found faithful to the very end, and I pray that for us as well, too. Lord, I pray for all those in this room that then when we enter heaven, that we will be welcomed with fanfare, having been found faithful for all that you entrusted into our care during our oh-so-short time on earth. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let us rise as we sing our song to close today. And let us remember this week when we go out into the world who is the hope of the nations. Thank you.